0: Church, I'm here in the computer lab for reasons that I hope will make sense later on in this sermon. Last week we asked the question in our time together: Is COVID-19 a punishment from God? And we decided that it was not, because God treats His people as righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, Ken Garner comes up to me at our live on the lawn event last Sunday, and he said, "That was great, Herrick, and you told us what it wasn't, but I kept waiting for you to tell us what it was." So that's the question we'll answer today. If COVID-19 is not a punishment from God, then how do I understand it? Well, to set the stage for that question, let me take you to a scene in the early church. We find this scene in Acts 11. So we have two guys, Barnabas and Saul, who we come to know as Paul the Apostle, two early leaders in the church. Barnabas and Saul are in Antioch. And they're gathered together with young, new Christians, worshiping and studying together. And then we read about this scene in Acts 11, starting in verse 27. About that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, Agabus, stood up and, inspired by the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would overtake the entire Roman world. So here we have a natural disaster, similar to COVID-19, taking over the whole Roman world, which in their mind was the whole world at this point. This occurred during Claudius' rule, and the disciples decided they would send support to the brothers and sisters in Judea, with everyone contributing to this ministry according to each person's abundance. They sent Barnabas and Saul to take this gift to the elders. Now, they learn of a pending natural disaster that's that's going to affect the whole world as they know it, and they don't ask why. They don't ask why this is happening. And they don't start to blame this global pandemic on Roman sin, even though this is taking place in the whole Roman world, which they certainly could have done. They don't ask why. It does not send them into a crisis of faith. They don't begin to doubt the faithfulness of God. They don't ask why. And they also don't don't convince themselves that this is a hoax that's been dreamed up by Roman politicians who want to infringe on our freedoms. They don't do any of that stuff. Here's what they do. They ask three simple questions. The first question, and N.T. Wright helped me to see these questions in his book, God in the Pandemic. Now, the first question they ask is this, who is going to be at special risk when this happens? That's number one. Number two, what can we do to help? And number three, who shall we send? I've told you about a group of ministers that I meet with every month digitally, and we also text all the time, usually just making fun of each other, which is how men show affection, sadly. And uh, But when the pandemic started, our text thread just exploded with questions for one another about what our churches were doing in the midst of this pandemic. So what technology are you using to, to do your online worship services or to connect with your people? How are you serving your community in this time? But the number one question that everybody was asking in that text chain was, when and how are you coming back together? And I'll never forget what one of my friends said in reply, and it really changed the course of that text thread. He said this. He said, I'm trying to get our people to be in it when it comes to the pandemic, not just get through it. I'm trying to keep my people in it not just get them through it. And I thought about that church in Antioch when he said that, a church that was in it, not just trying to get through it. I was uh, riding my bike with a friend from Highland the other day. He's an epidemiologist, which is a a vocation that's really important right now as he studies diseases and how they're spread among communities. And we were talking about COVID-19. We're talking about Highland and regathering and questions like that, how it's affecting our members, some of our members who've gotten sick. And he told me something I'm not gonna forget. He said, Eric, you realize that it is a luxury that we don't deal with viral illness and plague all of the time. And he pointed out that for most of human history, most people in the world lived in the constant shadow of plague and viral illness. It was just part of their lives. And he said, Eric, in some places in the world, that is still the norm. And when he said that, I thought about Papua New Guinea, where we have missionaries Jab and Becky Mesa, who lead the Melanesian Bible College. And I thought about Jab, who contracts malaria multiple times a year. And when he does get malaria, Jab will be down in bed for weeks at a time, desperately, desperately ill during that time. And it's pretty common for most people in Papua New Guinea to get malaria multiple times a year. I mean, in Papua New Guinea, they've just had to learn how to be in it when it comes to malaria, not just get through it. So they do ministry when they're sick with malaria. They reach out to others when they're sick with malaria. They've had to learn how to be in it when it comes to that constant shadow hanging over them. And Jab sent me an email the other day And he said this, he said, the past few days I was bedridden. He had been diagnosed with malaria. He said, the past few days I was bedridden. I'm now able to walk around the house and hopefully over the weekend get better. And we pray for you all and thank God that the coronavirus will pass over you as it also allows for the opportunity to reach out to others. Now, in reading that, I was struck by the fact that here's somebody with malaria who's in his bed, hardly able to move, praying for you and for me as we deal with the coronavirus in our community. And he doesn't just pray that the coronavirus would pass us by. He, he prays a prayer about our responsibility in the midst of coronavirus, He makes this point that in coronavirus, we have this opportunity, even this responsibility to reach out to others. And I think he understands that because he is somebody who has lived in it when it comes to global suffering, constant suffering and sickness. He's somebody who knows what it means to be in it and not just get through it. So all those stories, one after another, so the Antioch Church and their Confident deliberate response to a global crisis. My friend, my minister's friend's comments about trying to keep his church in it and not just get through it when it comes to COVID-19. And then Jab's reply of praying for us in the midst of our struggle with COVID-19, even as he has malaria. Okay, all those those stories, one after another, provide the framework, I think, for an answer to the question, what is COVID-19? Why does COVID 19 exist? Now those three stories don't answer the question, but they prove that whatever answer Christians offer right now that equates or accounts, sorry, for the global suffering our world is enduring, that any answer we give in response to that must include or be coupled with the present persistent ministry of God's people in the midst of that suffering. So if we're not present in ministering within that suffering, any answers we give that explain it are hollow. So that would be my first question to the challenge of answering this question rightly. What is or why is COVID-19 a reality? And the second caution I would give is this, that when it comes to the Bible, the explanations for suffering, and particularly suffering that may lead to death, but the explanations for that are many. Okay. Jesus talks about the work of the evil one, Satan. We read in Paul's own work about the way that suffering refines us and is, is, um, makes us more and more into the people God desires us to be. Okay, And like we looked at last week, there's a lot of reasons given in the Old Testament as well for why suffering may take place. And so today I'm not going to try to give you the exhaustive biblical account of why suffering like COVID-19 may be happening in our world. Instead, we're going to look at one passage together. And the reason we're going to hone in on that one passage is not just because the biblical account of death and suffering is varied, but also because our experience of suffering and death is varied. So, uh, last week I or 2 weeks ago I mentioned the beta fish that we have been trying to save from its pending death. So, we bought this be- these two beta fish actually about a year ago when our boys memorized the books of the New Testament. We thought they're never going to memorize the books of the New Testament. We're never going to have to get beta fish. And 2 days later we were at PetSmart buying some beta fish, okay? And they've been well fine. We're the only ones feeding them. Our boys lost attention with them quite a while ago. But then one of the beta fish started to get sick, and we let the boys know this. And we spent money trying to save this beta fish. We spent hours Googling how to save this beta fish. We tried different things in this little beta fish's tank. And then a major plot twist the other beta fish died <laughs> unexpectedly. We didn't see it coming at all, and our boys were devastated. And so we scooped little blue flutter. It was blue flutter and red swimmer. We scooped blue flutter out of the bowl and we took him to the toilet where we had a funeral. And We sang a song over blue flutter. We shared our favorite memories of blue flutter, like how he swam around in his bowl and ate fish food. And, and then Noble said a prayer thanking God for our special time with blue flutter. And then we, we flushed him. And that really cheered them up. So here's the thing, from the moment that fish died, they have been asking all kinds of questions. You know, when death enters the consciousness of a child, well, it's a difficult thing. And coronavirus has done something similar for our kids and maybe for your children or grandchildren. You know, they don't understand the epidemiology of COVID-19, but they know that COVID-19 has interfered with their lives. So they can't play on the Chick-fil-A play place. Why? Well, the virus. They can't go see all their friends and play at their friends' houses. Why? Well, because the virus, right? And so, again, the whole picture of suffering that leads to death in Scripture is complex. Frankly, like our experience of death is complex in this life. So I can't cover it all today, but what we're going to do today is we're going to hone in on one passage, and that passage is in Romans 8, where Paul says this. And so if somebody were to ask you, Okay, why do you think COVID 19 has taken place in our world? You could direct them here to Romans 8 and give at least an answer. So, this is what we read The whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, it was the choice of the one who subjected it but in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. So here's the point Paul's making. Our whole world, not just the human heart, our whole world has been affected by human sin. Romans 1 lays this out pretty clearly. As human sin enters the equation, it's not just humans that fall apart or are ter- torn apart. The whole world is torn apart. And Paul describes that here as decay. The whole world is decaying as a result of human sin. The point he's making is that everything is connected. And not in, not in like a hippie way, you know, I and the tree are one and the tree is me I and the tree not something like that okay more like a well like a computer virus and that's why we're here today uh Do an exercise with me. Imagine that you were to get one of those emails, and most of us have gotten one of these emails before. It's from the prince of some country you've never heard of, and he's asking you to send some money and to open an attachment that he has included in this email. And so you're really happy because you got word from a prince, and you think "That's, that's a pretty big deal. So you open this attachment, and when you do, this virus enters your computer system. Okay, the problem is that that virus is not only going to affect how your email operates, but likely it's going to affect how the whole computer operates. Not only can you not use email, but you can't access Microsoft Word or Apple iTunes or get on Facebook, that the whole computer begins to fall apart and decay. Well, that's how it is with our world. When human sin enters the system, it is like a virus. And it's important to say that God did not intend cancer or famine or earthquakes. That We could say, and the metaphor begins to get stretched, but we could say that those are evidences of a virus corrupting the system. That those are examples of the decay or corruption in creation as a result of the virus of human sin. Okay. Now, let's look at how Isaiah puts that. Listen to how Isaiah describes Isaiah 24. The earth dries up and wilts. The world withers and wilts. The heavens wither away with the earth. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants. Why? For they have disobeyed instruction. They have swept aside law and broken the ancient covenant. And therefore, a curse devours the earth, devours, decays. Okay. He's saying it's all connected. The earth, all of creation, is decaying because of human sin. And we endure that decay as humans, not because God is up there sending down lightning bolts or famines or plagues upon us as punishment, but simply because those things are the natural consequences of a virus in the system. Okay, And that virus is sin. Because of human sin, Paul says, All of creation is decaying and groaning out in pain because of that decay. So if you go back to where we started with that Antioch church, you notice they don't ask that question of why. They just respond to the suffering and decay they see around them. And I think part of the reason they do that is they know that as, as important as their response is, that God is taking the first primary, and most important response to the suffering of world in and through Jesus Christ. They believe, and all Christians do, that Jesus Christ is sent into creation not only to redeem and repair His people, but to redeem and repair His people so that all of creation may be redeemed and repaired in the end. Okay, that's the full gospel story. The gospel is not only about what jesus christ does for you and me the gospel is about the way that the work that jesus christ does for you and me will also work in and through the whole world to bring about in all creation what god desires for it to eliminate the virus everywhere every trace of it okay look again at romans 8. the whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. So creation is waiting on you and me to be made fully right in God's eyes through the work of Jesus Christ. Not only you and me, but all of humanity, all of creation is waiting on that. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it, but in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. So, The flaw starts in us, humans. What we see in Romans 8 is that the fix also starts in us. This is why Jesus becomes a human, so that he can deal with the origins of the problem affecting not only humanity, but all of creation. you got to go back to the source. And at the cross and in his resurrection, Jesus overcomes the virus and its effect on us, moving us from sinful to righteous on God's eyes. And then that effect begins to expand. Ultimately, it will reach all creation. That's the vision that John has in the end in Revelation when he looks ahead and he sees this as God's future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. So despite the the sorrows of this world, including COVID-19 and many other sorrows right now, despite the sorrows of this world, we know that in the end, in the end, all creation will be made right as the children of God are made right through the work of Jesus Christ. That what God has done for us, God will do in and through Jesus Christ for all creation. And because of that, the virus of human sin and its effects of death and suffering that we see all around us, that decay will be wiped away once and for all as the new heaven and new earth are finished and realized. That is, if not the perspective on suffering and death that Christians hold, it is at least a significant part of the vision or understanding that you and I as Christians believe when it comes to the suffering and death we see around us in something like COVID-19. And the important thing to realize, even as Christians are always thinking about the end that God will bring about in Jesus Christ, the important thing to realize is that having the end in mind is not escapist. In fact, it's because the Antioch Church has the end in mind that they respond in really practical ways right now. Okay, um, We might say that they recognize God is repairing and redeeming creation and that God has started that work by repairing and redeeming them So as repaired and redeemed people, they join God in repairing and redeeming the world instantly. And they do this by asking, who's going to be affected worst by this disaster? And what can we do to help? And who shall we send? You know, a few weeks ago when the pandemic started, we asked those very same questions. You may remember that we tightened our budget. You continue to give generously. And because of that, we were able to send $30,000 to three partner ministries who are on the front line serving families who have been affected worse by the pandemic financially, who have lost jobs, been unable to work, and had health issues. like We asked that question, the Antioch Church asked. It was a thoroughly biblical thing to do. Who's going to be affected worse by this? Let's help them out. That's our response to suffering in crisis. Who knows what God may do with that? But let's look one more time at Romans 8 because there's one more thing, maybe the most important thing that Christians are called to do in a time of suffering. This is in Romans 8, starting in verse 22. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. And it is not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first crop of the harvest also grown inside as we wait to be adopted for our bodies to be set free. We were saved in hope And if we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit comes to help in our weakness. And we don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit Himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. This is a great word from Scripture for this moment that we find ourselves. Here you have creation groaning as a result of its decay, that decay that has been caused by human sin. So you have creation groaning as this world, as creation itself, suffers the effects of human sin. And then within creation, you have the church, those who are filled with the Spirit of God, who witness the suffering all around them, who participate in it, in that suffering, and who groan in response. And then you have within the church, the Spirit of God, In response to the groaning of the world and the groaning of his church, the Spirit of God groans out. Okay. Uh, Have you ever seen those Russian nesting dolls where you've got one doll and another doll inside it and another doll inside that? Okay, that's that's a great visual for what we have here. We have the world groaning, take off the top, and inside the world, the church is groaning for the same suffering, the same decay. Take the top off the church, and inside the church, there is the Spirit of God groaning out, and those groans mixed together in this chorus that reaches God's ears and provokes God's response. We see that in Exodus when God responds to the crying out of His people in slavery, that the earth right now is groaning The church is in the world groaning in response and the spirit of God hears those groans and groans with us in a prayer to God that God will hear and respond to. So N.T. Wright says this, he says, when the world is going through great convulsions, the followers of Jesus are called to be people of prayer at the place where the world is in pain people of prayer at the place where the world is in pain. I love that. And I think that's what it really means to be in it in this time of pandemic. I think you and I are called to be people of prayer at the place where the world is in pain. I'll with this story. I got to tag along to Guatemala with uh, Gerald Jerkins, who's one of our elders, but is also a surgeon. I got to tag along with him and this large medical team to a clinic in Guatemala a few years ago where for a week they performed hundreds of just life-changing surgeries for people who are under-resourced medically, don't have all the access to medical care that you and I have. And they go down there and just for a week perform hundreds of life-changing surgeries. I got to sit in the ER and watch as Dr. Jerkins with just this incredible precision would take out these growths and um, stones that had been Inside of people and had been causing them just excruciating pain for years. And he would, you know, take them out and change their lives in an instant. And watching that, you know, I was confronted with something. You know, here at one time, I see in people's bodies the evidence of the decay of creation, right? Sometimes we feel the effects of creation's decay in our own bodies and it can be painful. And then at the other, You know, and the other at the same moment on the other on the other side of the coin, I saw that Gerald Jerkins, you know, this redeemed, restored person of God, along with this team of people, believers, people of God, redeemed and restored by the work of Jesus Christ, I watched as they joined God in repairing and redeeming this broken creation, like right there in the ER, and I was floored by the beauty of that. And I walked out thinking, Eric, it's too bad you're not a doctor. Because what can I do? I left the ER and I got in this little Jeep and we were going to a mobile clinic deep in the heart of Guatemala. Which is basically a clinic that's set up at somebody's house. And hundreds of people would be lined up outside to see a doctor for maybe the the only time they get to see one that year. And my job was pretty simple. I was supposed to sit outside the appointment room and pray with people as they came out and before they left. And I thought, these people are going to see right through me. You know, they're here for life-changing medicine. They're here to see these doctors. What are, What is this little pipsqueak minister going to do for them? But I had a job. I was supposed to pray. And so I prayed with everyone who came out. And every single person wanted to pray with me. And I'll never forget this one woman. She's probably in her 70s. Only two teeth in the front of her mouth. She sits down with me when I ask her to pray and she takes my hands. And my Spanish is not good, but I'm doing the best I can. And I bow my head and I begin to pray. And she leans in close to me. I'll never forget, she leans in so close, and she begins to pray her own prayer while I prayed. And it wasn't like her prayer was in competition with mine. It was like it was in like it was in harmony with mine. And her voice was low and I couldn't make it out. And so I just lowered my voice too. And I don't even remember what I said. And in my memory, frankly, I just remember wordless groans like Paul talks about here. And we pray together and she opens her eyes and we said, amen. And she says, gracias, gracias, gracias. And tears are just rolling down her cheek. And she walks off and I think to myself, well, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's something to this. You know, explaining COVID-19, what it is, how we understand suffering and death as the people of God is hard to do. In fact, it's much easier to say what it's not than what it is. But maybe what's most important for you as a follower of God is not that you were able to easily explain something that is so difficult. I think what's more important is that you and I are present and praying in the place where the world is in pain. And maybe that's what you can do right now.